I'm going to read all of Psalm 27, and Lord willing, we'll work through all 14 of these verses. So Psalm 27, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come, came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. From the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Holy Spirit, you are real and you are here right now. And I am thankful for that because I am aware that I need your help. I am also aware that all of these men and women need your help. Holy Spirit, we need you to open our eyes to behold glorious things from this word. You're the one that has breathed these words out to us and you're the, ones, you're the one that can energize these truths in our hearts. You can help us to see what is here. You can help us to understand these words, even in ways we have never understood before. Holy Spirit, you are the one who, who has the power to cause us to believe these words. And then you are the one that we rely on to give us the grace to live out these words, to obey them, to not just know that these words are true, to not even believe that these words are true, but to live differently. So please, Holy Spirit, will you help your people to live differently because of the time we spend in Psalm 27 in these short minutes and I pray in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I'm not sure if you guys know the name Charles Blondin. Uh, Charles Blondin is actually a stage name um, for a French tightrope artist from the 19th century. Uh, he was actually one of the most famous tightrope artists um, of all times. I just don't know that many tightrope artists, so I didn't know his name either. Uh, but Charles Blondin, uh, most famously, he was the first person to walk from the Canadian to the U.S. side of the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Um, so maybe a little bit on the crazy side. Um, but uh, Charles Blondin, there's a story that's told about that walk um, across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And here's how the story goes. The story goes that, um, they, that crowds gathered on both sides to watch Blondin do this. Uh, and I kind of suspect that the crowds gathered in some of the same way that maybe some people watch NASCAR, which is I think they're just watching it for the wrecks. 
Um, some people watch hockey because they're just watching it for the fights. I imagine that a lot of the crowd was gathered out of almost a morbid, is he going to make it or is he not going to make it, right? Um, he has no other ropes. It's just a tightrope. It's just him walking across Niagara Falls. And the crowds watched with bated breath as he takes step after step, and he actually makes it from one side to the other. And then amazingly, he turns around and he walks back. And the story goes that he got back uh, and the crowd is cheering like deliriously and people are going crazy. Uh, and, and Blondin says, how many of you think that I can do it again? And the child cheers, yes, we think you can do it again. Um, and, and how many of you are confident that I can do this again? And the crowd says, yes, we're confident you can do this. How many of you think I'm going to fall? No, we're confident you're not going to fall. Um, and he said, how many of you think that I could do it with somebody on my back? And the crowd goes, yes, you can do it. We're confident in you. Uh, and then he says, and who wants to be the first volunteer? And the crowd goes completely silent. And there are no volunteers and nobody raises their hand. The point of that story is that they're confident, but not quite that confident, right? Um, now, that story has been repeated many times. We actually aren't 100% sure that, that, that it actually happened exactly that way. So I have not been able to find full confirmation that that is exactly how it happened. But that story has been repeated because can't you relate to that story, that sense of, well, I trust this person. I have confidence in this person. Oh, but wait a second. If it's my life that's on the line, eh, I'm not quite that confident. Um, there is something that was true uh, that is even more amazing than that story, and, and that's that Charles Blondin's manager actually regularly rode on his back um, across a tightrope. His manager actually did have the confidence that he could do it and trusted his life to Blondin over and over and over again. You also this morning have confidence in something or someone today. Your heart's confidence can be a lot or it can be a little. And what I've come this morning to say from Psalm 27 is to encourage you, uh, to appeal to you, to urge you to put your heart's confidence in the Lord. And not just the kind of confidence that says, just like that crowd said, I'm sure that he could get across the tightrope. No, but do you personally have your confidence in the Lord? Uh, we are an amazing people. We can fail to have confidence in the Lord when things are going bad, right? Something is going wrong in your life, even right now, maybe even this last week, some things have gone wrong, uh, and we can fail to have confidence in the Lord because we're not sure that he's going to make things right. We're not sure that he's trustworthy, or we're not sure that he actually is good enough to care about us, or maybe he doesn't have enough power to take care of us, and we go through hard things in life, and our confidence in God can waver. But isn't it amazing that we can also fail to have confidence in God when things are going great in our life? Everything is going so well. Do I really need to rely on God because everything is wonderful right now? This morning, whether you're on the things are terrible in your life or things are wonderful, you still need to hear the same message. You need to put your heart's confidence in the Lord. Uh, this morning, you might be here this morning as a person with lots of confidence. When I say confidence, uh, you might say, confidence has got my picture in the dictionary next to it. I am full of confidence. In fact, you might be incredibly self-confident. I, I, I have a lot of confidence in myself, my training, my education, my abilities. I have a lot of confidence in me. Uh, you might have a lot of confidence this morning because you're the kind of person that I refer to as unrealistically optimistic, right? Are you that person? You've, you've never seen a bad day. You've never seen a half full glass of anything because you are unrealistically optimistic that everything will always be better and everything is sunshine and roses. And so you have a lot of confidence. But if you're that kind of person this morning, I, I want to ask you, but is your confidence in the Lord? 
not just in your personality, not in your finances, not that things are great in your family right now, but is your confidence in the Lord. And on the other end of the extreme this morning, you might be a person that has a lot of fear. In fact, you're living even this morning or this past week with a lot of fear. And that could be a mixture of unbelief. You're not sure that you can really believe that God can take care of you. Uh, You might be thinking a lot about a future that you don't know and you can't control. You might be looking at things like the stock market. You might be looking at things like government. You might be looking at things like health. And you go, I don't have reasons for confidence. In fact, I'm discouraged. And, I'm, and I'm, you might even use the word like depressed or I'm anxious. To you as well, I want you to hear this message today. Put your heart's confidence in the Lord. And if you're going to know how to do that, then I think we can look at Psalm 27. And Psalm 27 is going to describe four actions of a heart that finds its confidence in the Lord. And, and I'm indebted, the outline that I'm using, I'm indebted to a commentary um, called the Holman Commentary on the Psalm. I've, I've adapted it some and changed it. Um, but here are the four actions of the heart um, that finds its confidence in the Lord. Number one, know the Lord that you are confident in. That'll be verses one through three. Number two, be committed to that Lord in verses four through six. Number three, cry out to that Lord in verses seven through 12. And finally, get your courage from the Lord. All right, if you're going to put your heart's confidence in the Lord, then you have to begin by knowing the Lord that you are confident in. Here's verses one through three. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? What the psalmist shows us is that his confidence is in the Lord, but he knows this Lord. He calls him the Lord. He uses that name, uh, the name that is the covenant name of God, the God of Israel, the God who made promises to Israel and who kept all of his promises. Uh, The God who chose to bless Israel, that's the Lord. That's the name of the Lord. Uh, he's He's the God that was faithful from generation to generation. The psalmist says, I know the Lord, the one true God. There is no other. I know him. He, the Lord, notice, notice his heart's confidence is in the Lord because the Lord is my light and my salvation. The psalmist knows that his confidence is in the Lord, and he knows his Lord because he says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Notice that emphasis. David says he is my light and he's my salvation. The Lord is the defense of my life. This is a personal knowledge. If your heart's confidence is going to be in the Lord this morning, then you too have to have a personal knowledge of the Lord. It's, it's not enough for somebody else to believe in the Lord. It's not enough that uh, if, you're, if you're a kid in here this morning, it's not enough that your parents believe in the Lord. The question is, but do you personally know the Lord? The emphasis is on my. And notice that he, David doesn't say the Lord gives me light and salvation. Did, did you see that? He says the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's talking about who God is. And, and that's where his heart's confidence is. Um, He says, the Lord is my light, and he is my salvation, and he is the defense of my life. And what he's doing, he's drawing attention to the character of God, not to just to what God provides. And I think that's a significant difference. Uh, It was Mark Twain who famously said, the difference between the right word and the wrong word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug, right? There's a world difference between lightning and lightning bug. And I think there's a world difference between saying, the Lord is my light, and saying, the Lord gives me light, And do you know what the world difference is? The difference is if the Lord is your light, then you look to him and your confidence is in him. But if you say the Lord gives me light, then you simply look for what God provides. You're simply looking for a product from God. You see, there's a major difference between looking at God as this is the one I relate to and God is the one that provides me a product of light 
or of peace or of prosperity. And God is the genie whose lamp I rub when I need something. But this is not how we put our heart's confidence in the Lord. We put our heart's confidence in the Lord by knowing him personally, relationally. The Lord is my light and he is my salvation. Uh, it's amazing how light is something that is so comforting. Uh, those of you who are, are parents, maybe you've had this experience where your, your younger kids really, really liked that night light. And there's something about a night light um, that helps kids feel better. Even on our trip, so our five-year-old Luca, we brought this special night light that is his. It's an owl. And every night when he goes to bed, we have to turn on this owl night light. Uh, and this night light, the thing about it, it's one of those lights that has like a timer in it. So you turn it on, and after 10 minutes, it turns off. Uh, and that works for Luca because hopefully by the end of those 10 minutes, he's either asleep or he's ready to, for the light to go off. Um, but something about light is comforting to kids, light in the darkness. Um, when you think about the Lord as your light, even just think about that as an illustration, do, do you think that God as your light is like a flickering little nightlight that might soon go out? Is that how you think of the Lord? The Lord is my light but it's just a little bit of light. Or do you think of the Lord as the light of a giant sun burning throughout all the day that nobody can, can hold off? That, that Instead of thinking of the Lord as our light, as he's this little flashlight, uh, he's, a, he's a little nightlight, the Lord is my light in terms of the sun and its brilliance. Do you think of the Lord that way, that the Lord is my light, the light that, that no one can stop? He himself is where my light and my salvation comes from because the psalmist says he's my light and he's my salvation, so who shall I fear? You see the illustration, the comfort that comes from light and the comfort that comes from salvation. The psalmist says, the Lord is that for me, and so I'm not afraid. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? If, if the Lord is with you and the Lord is your defense, then who do you need to be afraid of? Do you see, do you, do you know the Lord? Because if you know the Lord and his power, then your heart has reason, have confidence in him. He, he says, uh, the, the Lord is not just the, the defense of my life, but the Lord is also the one who helps defeat my, my enemies. He says, when evildoers, verse number two, came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. David, David knows that the Lord is the sovereign one, and so even though people are attacking him, they're the ones that trip and fall, right? Uh, imagine the bully that's coming up to the kid on the playground, going to get his lunch money, and he says, give me your lunch money, or I'm going to give you five reasons uh, right now. Uh, and the kid is scared, but he doesn't want to give him his lunch money, and that bully winds back that fist, and he's about to, he's about to sock that kid on the playground, and, and instead of hitting the kid, the bully trips over his own feet and falls on his face, Right? That's what's going on in verse number two. Evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, but they're the ones that end up stumbling and falling. Why? Because God is the one who is reliable. And David says, my confidence is in him and he's sovereign. And because my heart's confidence is in him, even though a host encamp against me, verse number three, an entire army encamping against me, my heart will not fear. And you see how fear is a matter of the heart. Your heart is either finding its confidence in the Lord or it's going to be filled with other things like fear, like anxiety, like discouragement. David said, though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be, there's that word, confident. Why? Because he's confident in the Lord. 
When, when David says a host encamp against me, uh, he no doubt would have been um, almost talking in literal terms. Uh, that's how battles were fought back then. Back then it was all siege warfare. And so David would have been in his city and the armies would camp around and then you just kind of wait them out. You hope that they run out of food or run out of water. And, and that's, how they did, that's how they did warfare back then. Um, and David says, even if it's an entire host, uh, I'm not going to be afraid. Um, that David, David in essence says, there might be a whole army out there but I have God right here. So I, I have the majority. I'm fine. I win because I have God. You see, see how putting your heart's confidence in the Lord as a person changes your perspective of what's going on around you. David says, even if war arose against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Right? Um, when we feel like we are surrounded, and if your heart feels like you are surrounded this morning by any number of either enemies or discouraging circumstances, those things seem so large to us. They seem so much bigger than God, right? The challenge for us from this passage is, but is your heart's confidence in the Lord, or are you distracted by all of what is around you that seems so big, seems so intimidating? Uh, if I can use a, a movie illustration, if that's all right to do and it's not too distracting, uh, I happen to really enjoy uh, The Lord of the Rings, as well, the books first and then the movies. Um, but there's a fantastic scene in one of The Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, it's called The Battle of Helm's Deep. And essentially, you have all these, uh, if you don't care about Lord of the Rings, it's completely fine. I can summarize for you. Good people in the city, bad people outside of the city, right? And the good people in the city are only a few, and the people outside of the city are a bunch, and, 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 that, and, that, and that bunch of army outside the city looks like surely they're going to win and surely they're going to overcome, all right? Um, you have to either read the book or watch the movie yourself. But I'm saying movie scenes like that, as you see the good guys ride in to save the day, um, they remind us of what it's like to feel like we're overcome, all right? Uh, if, you're, if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, you might be a, a fan of military stories like what happened at Dunkirk um, as, as people were cut off, as allies were cut off in the amazing uh, rescue that happened there. But you know the idea of somebody that feels cut off and alone, and I, and I, and I need somebody to rescue me, and what's going to happen, right? Um, the, the point that David says is even if I, there's a, an entire host, there's an army around me, and even if war is rising against me, I'm still confident. How can that be? David, are you not aware that there's a whole army outside the gates? Uh, listen, when I say let your heart's confidence be in the Lord, I'm not asking you to be naive about the suffering in your life or the hard things that are around you. Don't just stick your head in the sand and go, la, 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 everything's fine. No, no, no. It's not that you're not aware that there are hardships and you're not aware of suffering. It's that you see that in perspective in comparison to the Lord that you know. Because the Lord that you know is great, and he's powerful, and he's good, and he's loving, and he's merciful. And all these truths that you know about your Lord end up informing your heart's confidence despite the circumstances that are around you. And confidence is what we ought to have in our God. We can trust in God in circumstances. If David could trust in God in circumstances, like being surrounded by an army, surely we can trust God in our other circumstances as well. So I'm trying to encourage you, put your heart's confidence in the Lord and do that, first of all, by knowing who that Lord is. Who is he? Um, but verse four is gonna move us to our second point, um, which is not just knowing who he is, but being committed to him. Notice in verse four what David says. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek. All right, one thing, David says, singular prayer request. Right? Now, if you're in David's shoes and there's an army around you, there's a host of them, and a war has risen up, what is the one thing that you think you would ask from the Lord? 
right? And I know we already read the psalm, and maybe you've read the psalm before, so you know the words that are coming next. But I'm just saying, from a human standpoint, you're cut off from all help. The other army is so much bigger than yours. Uh, there's a whole war going on. What is the one thing you're going to ask for from a human standpoint? And I think if I'm David in this situation, I say, I would like peace, or I would like a military victory, or I would like all of these people that are camped around my city to go away, right? I want to win, might be a prayer request. Is, is that David's prayer request? What we see from David is that he's committed to this Lord, and, and he's so committed that what he wants is, verse number four, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David doesn't pray that his circumstances be changed or that the army goes away. He says, I want to seek this God that I know. I want to be committed to him. I want to look for his glory. He says, I want to behold, end of verse number four, behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David says, here's what I want, God. I want more time to think about how wonderful you are. I want, I want to think about your beauty, your glory. I want to see it. David says, I want to see the glory of God. He had a single-minded purpose to be committed to the Lord and see his glory. I think a valid principle for that is that when you and I are God-centered, then we can be trusting and confident in the things that are happening in our lives. When we are me-centered, when we are thinking most about us, that is when we lose our confidence in the Lord. That is when we become anxious and discouraged, or that's on the one hand, or on the other hand, that's when we become proud and inflated because we are only thinking about ourselves and our skills. David says, no, I want to behold the glory of God. So when we're God-centered, we can be trusting and we can be confident. And, and so David says, I, I want to seek after the Lord. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to see his beauty. Um, verse number five, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. David says, I'm committed to God rescuing. I'm committed to God doing this work. Uh, I'm, I'm committed to, to God being central. And, and I want him to rescue me. I, I, want, I want to be able to worship him. That's what I'm after. Notice, notice all the times that, he, that David is focused on God. In the day of trouble, look at that. There's that first word, he. You see it? He's focused on God. In the day of trouble, I'll read it to emphasize it. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Do you see how God-centered David is being? He's committed to the Lord being the place of rescue. Are, are you committed to a God-centered view of your life? In other words, that your life exists we even said it in the mission statement this morning, right? But not just, I mean, it certainly is true as a church. It's also true for us as individuals within a church. Do you exist for the glory of God? Because as soon as we start existing for my personal happiness or my personal enjoyment or to have a better bank account, all of a sudden the anxieties and the worries and, and the pressures of life just overwhelm us because we're living for the wrong thing. It's not what we were made to do. We were made to live for the glory of God. You see, living for the glory of God brings us a confidence in our Lord that doesn't exist apart from being committed to him and being committed to his glory. And David says, here's, here's how it's going to work out. Verse number six, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. David's confident. What this, this confidence in God is going to lead is to him being rescued from his enemies. And so he says, and then I'm going to brag and boast about how amazing I am and what a wonderful person I am and how great I am. Is that what he says? 
He's committed to the Lord. So he says, when I'm rescued, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with such of joy. I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord. David's not in this to bring praise to himself. Uh, he, he's, he says, I'm committed to the Lord. Uh, it, that too, is that the intent of your life? That, that you say, my confidence is in the Lord because what I want is to be able to praise him. Or other times when we face suffering in our life or when we face plenty and what we actually want on the other side is for, for us to look good, for us to feel good, for us to, to be seen as more spiritual than other Christians around us or more, or more godly or more successful or Right? It is our intent to be able to sing praises to God because our confidence is in him? Or do we kind of secretly or maybe not so secretly want to be able to sing our own praises? You see, if you put your heart's confidence in the Lord, you're going to have to be committed to him and his glory and his praises and not, and not to your own. All right? So uh, if you're going to put your heart's confidence in the Lord, you need to know who the Lord is. And you also uh, need uh, to be able to be committed to him and not to your own agenda. Um, But thirdly, you need to cry out to that Lord. In verse 7, there is a change, and there's even a change in tone in the psalm. uh, And I think it's an encouraging one. Uh, Because to this point, uh, as as we're reading the psalm, and if if you're thinking about it, to this point, David looks like just a model amazing, like he's, he's got war all around him, and he's just singing God's praises and just trusting God. And we ha- kind of have what I call the Bible character effect. Have you ever done that? You're reading your Bible, and somebody's in the Bible, and you're like, well, of course they said the right thing because they're in the Bible. You know, well, of course they felt the right way because, uh, you know, uh, well, they were one of the disciples, so of course they did what was right. But I, that's not me, right? What happens in verse number seven is we're reminded that David was a human being just like you and just like me. Because we get to verse number seven, and all of a sudden, David shows us what was going on inside his heart. So verses one through six, we found out that he was saying, I know the Lord, and I'm committed to him. Verse number seven, we find out that what was happening internally in David's life was a massive struggle. So for those of you that are having a harder time putting your heart's confidence in the Lord, good news, this psalm is here for you. And David is here for you. I love the relentless honesty of the Psalms. Because what we find out in verse number seven is David is really struggling to live out these ideals of knowing the Lord and and of being committed to him. And so because he's struggling so hard, he turns to prayer. And and that's our third point, cry out to the Lord. Uh, I think we get to verse number seven, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief like, oh good, Uh, David actually was human. He wasn't like a spiritual robot. I trust the Lord, even though the world is ending. No, he, he wasn't some kind of robot. He was a real person. And, and so he, he cries out desperately in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. Listen, you don't, don't read those words like he just like lipped those. And, and that's like, this is the cry of desperation from somebody. This is the like, help me. Hear, O Lord, when I cry. Be gracious to me. He's, he's begging God. He's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, will you hear me? Have, have you had that experience in prayer when you just are not sure that God is hearing you? Have you had that? Have you, have you heard the, had the whole, like, I'm not sure my prayer is getting further than the ceiling kind of effect, and you're just, I'm just, like, I'm praying, but I just, I'm just not sure it's going anywhere. This is David. He's saying, God, please hear me. Like, it's fine for me to pray, but I want to be heard Hear me, I'm crying. I, this, is a, this is loud. He says, I, I need you to be gracious to me. He's crying out to the Lord. Um, and, and he says, when you said, seek my face, my heart, again, remember our, our confidence that we're talking about this morning is a matter of the heart. So what we think and what we feel and what we choose, that's our heart. 
So he says, my heart is responding. My thinking and my feeling and my choosing is responding to you. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Right? Interesting thing about verse number eight. Uh, when it says, uh, when you said, seek my face, um, that word seek is, is plural. And, and why do we bring that up? Well, I think we read this and we think God told David, seek my face. And so David went, okay, I'll seek you. But what we need to understand is that God had said this to all of Israel, seek my face, plural. So uh, I was born in South Carolina. Um, I don't have much of the South still in me, but I can still do a good y'all, right? I can get a good y'all in there at any point. Um, I think y'all helps us when reading our Bibles because when we read the word seek, it doesn't look either singular or plural to us. Um, the, when, if you want to read this, the, the Southern Demo version, um, when you said, y'all seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek, right? What, why, why do I bring that up? Because what David is doing is he's taking an invitation to seek the Lord and he's taking it personally. He's saying, God says, generally seek my face, but David says, here's my heart's disposition. Okay, I personally will seek you, right? He's desperate. He's crying out to the Lord. I need you. I'm trying to seek after you. Look at verse number nine. Do not hide your face from me. Isn't that just relentlessly honest? Have you ever felt like God was playing hide and seek from you? Like, now you see him, now you don't. Where is he? What's he doing in my life? I don't know. David, David felt that. Don't hide your face from me. Why does he pray, don't hide your face from me? It had to be because he was sensing, I feel like God is hiding from me. He says, don't turn your servant away in anger. Why is David asking God for that? Because surely in David's wrestling of his heart, he's struggling with maybe God is angry at me, and he's turning away from me. But he says, God, please don't. Notice his heart's confidence is in the Lord, and so he cries out to the Lord. Don't turn away from me. He says, God, you've been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. And there again, there is an honesty to that. David says, you're the God of my salvation. So he's believing, right? David knows God is real. David knows God's the Savior. He knows these things, but he still says, don't abandon me. Even as somebody who believes that God is your salvation, you can still get to the point where you wonder, is God abandoning me or forsaking me? And the right thing for you to do in those moments is to cry out to your God, don't abandon me, don't forsake me. Look at some of the other realities that were in David's life that led him to ask God this. Verse number 10, my father and my mother have forsaken me. David is experiencing being forsaken by his family. Now, we're not exactly sure what the circumstances are. We don't have record of his father, Jesse, or of his mom um, literally abandoning him or forsaking him. Uh, we don't know if this was um, relational. We don't know if maybe they had died. But the point that David is feeling is, I have already been forsaken by my father and my mother. And that, too, might be something that many of you in this room can, can sympathize with. And maybe for you, your father and mother have already died, but you feel that sense of separation from them and abandonment from them. Uh, maybe you have been forsaken by your father and mother uh, because they did not live godly lives and, and they weren't, in a, in a biblical sense, a good father and a good, and a good mother. David, David says, I have already been forsaken. And he sees that as the reality. But at the same time, he says, but the Lord will take me up. And what David shows us is something that we need to be able to do. We need to have one foot in what is seen and the other foot in what is unseen. And this is part of the battle of our hearts, of putting your heart's confidence in the Lord. You might be able to see that your father and mother have forsaken you. 
But if that's the only reality that you live in and you live in that, I feel forsaken, I feel abandoned, you are never gonna have confidence in God. You're going to be a discouraged, anxious, worrying, fretful person. Because we don't just have a a foot in the reality of forsakenness, we have another foot in the reality of a God who will take me up, who, who will protect me, who will care for me, right? We must be a Christian people that have a foot in what is seen, but another foot solidly planted in what is unseen. The promises of God. Uh, I think about how how Jesus uh, showed us this same thing in John 16, 32. Here's John 16, 32. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. All right? right. Do you feel alone this morning? My God, I know like we're all sitting in the same room, but but there are some of you, and you might know exactly what I mean when I say you feel alone. You feel alone in your marriage. You feel alone at your school. You feel alone at your job. You feel like nobody sees me. Jesus says, there's a time coming and I'm going to be alone. That is, that is a seen, known reality. But Jesus says, yet. You see what Jesus does for us in John 16, 32? All of you are gonna leave me alone yet. That's, that's reality on this side. But Jesus says, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. He recognizes here's what is seen, but what is unseen is the Father is with me. That's what David is doing for us in this psalm. My father and my mother may have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up, living in light of what is unseen, God's promises and his ways. We have to be able to do that if we're going to put our heart's confidence in the Lord. It leads into more prayer requests in verse number 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me. Teach me your way. It is amazing our tendency to go our own way. It's almost overwhelming, our tendency to just go our own way. And David says, I want want to be taught your way, O Lord. He says, lead me in a level path because of my foes. You say, like, I don't have people that were actually, like, trying to kill me like David did. I don't have foes. Uh, I, I don't even know you all, and I know you have foes. I know you have at least three that I can just tell you from the Bible. I know that you have the world, and I know that you have the flesh, and I know you have the devil, and I know those are not your friends. So this world is not a friend to grace, and I don't have to know you to to know that you have an enemy in the world. And I know that you have an enemy in your flesh. There's a reason our Bibles tell us we have to kill the flesh, mortify the flesh. We have these, even though we are redeemed people, we still have these desires from from our old life that we have to kill, that it's not our friend, that it's our enemies. And there is a real being called Satan who is a roaring lion who is wandering about looking for people to devour. That's not fairy tale myth. Satan's not like this, you know, cartoon character with a pitchfork. Satan is a real being who is a real enemy. You do have foes, even if it's just the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and David says, I need to be led in a level path because of these foes that are around me. Verse number 12, don't deliver me. Notice how he's crying out to God. He's not just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix these problems on my own. I'm going to rely on myself. He says, God, don't deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Uh, we live in an incredible day of both liars and violence. Uh, you can't read the news without well, like sometimes just flat out being lied to or hearing about liars. Uh, you can't read the news without hearing about violence, right? It is everywhere all the time. And David says, I want to be rescued because there are these false witnesses arising everywhere and people breathing out violence. 
that can come on a number of levels. It can come uh, to us against as a group. It can be as individuals. Um, I had a friend uh, who was a believer. He was in a company, and he actually was the best. Um, he was the best salesman in that company. He had he had the highest. Like he was bringing in the most money for that company. Um, he was clearly like at, at a different level. Uh, he was also was an outspoken Christian man. And uh, there was a variety of people in that company that didn't appreciate his outspoken Christianity. And they actually started a campaign um, secretly to figure out ways that they could get rid of him. And they did a whole bunch of things. And you know what? Eventually, despite the fact that he was the leading salesman, despite the fact that, that in his region there wasn't anybody that was performing better than him, his company fired him. That's a, that's a circumstance of somebody that had false witnesses rise up against him and breathe out violence. Now, is losing a job the same as losing your life? Well, no, but you see the concept of people that are rising up to attack, right? And it could be on any number of fronts. But the point is that when that's happening to David, his confidence is not, but that's not fair. Uh, surely the HR department can take care of this and protect me and help me. Surely look at my record as a salesman. That will protect me. All of those things can just be swept aside. But you know what can't be swept aside? The fact that the Lord is the place that you can put your confidence. And you can cry out to him, don't deliver me, rescue me. All right. If you're going to put your heart's confidence in the Lord, then you are going to need to know the Lord personally. And you're going to need to be committed to him. And you need to cry out to him. And a final point for us this morning, and that is that you're going to need to get your courage from that Lord. That's verse 13. Notice getting our courage from the Lord in verse 13 means trusting in the Lord's goodness for right now. This is part of what it means to get your courage from the Lord. Trust in his goodness for right now. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. And I think, I think that a lot of times I'm willing to put a period on that verse right there. I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. And I think, yes, someday I know God will make all things right. Right, because I I can I can spiritualize my way through any difficulty in life. Right, uh, I know everything's wrong right now, but eventually it'll be it'll be better. And so I'm just going to trust the Lord that one day it'll all be made right. O- only problem with that, uh, there there are ways that that is a good and right spiritual um, response. But do you know there's also ways that I can use that to hide my unbelief. And do you know what I mean? What I, what I mean is we can so say God will take care of things later that we never think that God is going to intervene in my life right now that God has a role in my life right now. Because notice what David says is, I trust in God's goodness right now. This is not a future trust. He says, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Where? In the land of the living. This isn't David hoping for heaven or waiting for later. He's saying, I would despair unless I believe I would see God's goodness right now in the land of the living. So listen, are you, are you trusting in God's goodness in the land of the living as in right now? Do you trust in God's goodness? Not that he's going to do good to you eventually, and not that heaven is going to be wonderful, which that is true, and that's, that's good and right. But what I'm saying is, do you actually trust that God's going to go show you his goodness right now? Because David says, I would be despairing unless I thought that God would show me goodness right now. Well, that really begins to push our faith, because when we say God will do good to us down the road, we don't actually have to live in that. We don't have to see results from that. When we say, I think that I will see the goodness of God right now, all of a sudden, that puts the pressure on us. Are we really believing that? Do we actually see God's goodness in our lives? Because all of a sudden, what we said, I believe God is good, but it doesn't show up in our lives, we realize I have a problem. I either am not believing what God says, I, don't, I misunderstand his goodness because I don't think I'm seeing it, or we ask challenging questions like, is God being good in my life right now, right? 
David says, here's, here's what it is to get your courage from the Lord. Trust in his goodness for right now. There is hope in God's goodness for now, not just for later. Does that mean we get everything we want in terms of being free from all of our suffering and everything that's going wrong? Clearly, no. But can God be good to you and, like my friend, you still lose your job? Is God still good in that? Is there any way that, that your understanding of God is he can be good even when the circumstances in my life are going horribly what looks like wrong? Well, if you don't have a God that you can trust when things are going good, that you can also trust when things are going badly, if you don't have a God that you can trust when things are going badly, then you don't actually have the God of the Bible, right? You, you, might, have a, you might have a genie God that, that you expect he's just going to make everything go good. You might have the God of health, wealth, and prosperity that as long as he makes everything go great in my life, I'm willing to worship him. But you don't have the God of Job, for instance, who said, though he slay me, I will trust him. You don't have the God of Job who said, the Lord gave. And we like that part, right? Oh, we like the Lord gave part. The Lord gave, blessed be the name of the Lord. But that's, that's, not, that's not the God of Job, is it? Job says, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is, is your God blessed, whether he gives to you or takes away from you? Ah, now at this point, we find out that we're going to either get our heart's confidence in God and who he is or in the God that we demand to give us what we want. So David says, put your heart's confidence in God by trusting in what he does today. But that's not to say we don't look forward to the future. That's verse number 14. We, we, trust, uh, we trust in his goodness for today, but we also wait for his intervention for whenever he pleases. That's verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage. Does your heart need to take courage this morning? Are you discouraged in some way? Do you have a false sense of courage that you're trusting yourself? What you need to do is wait for the Lord. Wait for him. Not for your own strength. Uh, not for things to just get a, a, well, I just hope that things are going to turn out all right. No, wait for the Lord, as in wait for him as a person. Some people are tempted as they're waiting to be in despair. I'm not sure this is ever going to turn out right. That's their temptation. And other people, while they are waiting for God, um, turn to relentless self-effort. I don't see God working, and so now I've got to do, do, do to make up for what God is not doing. But either one of those fails to wait for the Lord. Can you wait for the Lord to work out his plans and his goodness for you? Wait for him. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for him. Has God accomplished everything in your life this morning that he has ever wanted to accomplish? The answer is no. He's still working it out. So can you wait for him? Can you wait? You can trust his goodness right now, but you can also wait for him to work out his plans for you moving into the future. All right, let's consider some application and then we'll be done this morning. Um, let's try to make some direct application to, first of all, knowing the Lord you are confident in. Uh, sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I've been reminded even lately at my church that I need to say this, and so I'm going to say this to you with love, uh, and the fact that you've heard it a million times doesn't mean that this is not a good application. Uh, to know the Lord you are confident in, you have to be in your Bible. I know, like, read your Bible is like the most classic, like, sermon application ever, right? But, but listen, are you, you're not going to know God if you're not reading your Bible, 
Um, I'm not saying reading our Bibles is always the, the most fun thing, or, or it's not always like, we don't always read our Bibles and come away like, wow, that was the most amazing devotional time I've ever had in my life. But listen, if you are not reading your Bible on a consistent basis, you are not going to know the Lord. So I just don't, that's not about legalism. That's not about duty. This is, this is about a reality of a relationship with a person. If you never look at God's words, you are not going to relate to him because he relates to you through his words. So how can you know the Lord to have confidence in him if you're not in his words? So read his Old Testament, read his New Testament, read a, a practical application that really helped me one time in, in college was read your Bible and do a biography of God. In other words, just write the two words, God is, at the top of the page, and every time you read something else that God is, write that down on that page. God is powerful. God is kind. God is merciful. God is everywhere, all at the same time. As you're reading your Bible, look for God. How, how are you going to be confident in God if you don't know who he is? And how are you going to know who he is without looking at his words, right? Uh, so, to know the Lord you're confident in, be in his word, all right? Be committed to that Lord, be committed to that, Lord. Uh, this I want to encourage you in, in terms of application, when it comes to being committed to the Lord, here I want to ask you to be willing to drill into your heart a little bit and start asking questions about your motivation. Uh, ask yourself questions like this. Who's, who's, whose glory do I really want to see maximized? In other words, whose reputation do I, do I want to look great? Um, John the Baptist said that, that Jesus must increase and he must de decrease. Are, do you have that same sentiment in your life? Right? Are, are you actually committed to God looking great? Or other ways that you recognize that what you're most committed to in this circumstance is for me to come out looking great or feeling great? All right? Are you committed to the Lord and his glory? Number three, cry out to that Lord. I feel like another kind of like classic sermon, or sermon application is to pray. Right? I feel like I can say pray and Almost every Christian person I've ever talked to, when we start talking about prayer, they go, oh, I'm not doing that enough. Or like, oh, I, I feel convicted about that. Um, I want to encourage you this morning, when it comes to crying out to the Lord, not to some mechanical, you need to pray more or, or whatever else, I'm encouraging you to let this passage drive you to actually honestly pray. Actually, honestly, cry out to the Lord. Because here's the thing, our prayer lives show who we are really depending on. If your heart's confidence is in the Lord, you will actually cry out to him for help. Are, are you desperate like the psalmist? Part of the reason that maybe we don't pray as much as we ought to is that we don't feel the same desperation that we need God to intervene. Essentially, we don't pray because we go, I got it, God. Like, I'm okay. All right. When I get to the end of my rope, now I'll pray. Right? No, no, no. Let's cry out to God. You needed him way before you got to the end of your rope. Uh, so cry out to him and cry out with a kind of honesty and desperation that the psalmist shows us in this psalm. All right, lastly, get your courage from the Lord. Um, are you trusting in what he's doing right now? Not just what he's doing down the road. At the same time, do you remember that God is still doing things in your life? Can you wait? Can you be patient? And aren't those hard words to hear? Those are just awful words to hear. Uh, wait patiently. Uh, we are saying some of those words to one of our children in particular right now, over and over and over again, we're in that stage where wait patiently sounds like it's pretty much the worst thing ever. Well, I have to wait? Like, I want it now. Um, wait patiently. Uh, are you able to wait for God's intervention for whenever he pleases? Um, wait for the Lord. I think if you're able to apply these things in this message, knowing the Lord and being committed to him and crying out to him and getting your courage from him, then you'll be able to put your heart's confidence in him, which is the best place for your heart to get its confidence. All right, let's pray.
Father, thanks for Psalm 27. I pray that even our time in it this morning would have been helpful for your people. I pray that there would be application for your people. Uh, I pray that we would know the psalm better um, than what we did before we started this message. Uh, I pray also that we would uh, be able to live it out better um, than before we walked in this room. I'm going to pray specifically this morning for those who walked in this room who are struggling to put their confidence in you because they are discouraged or despairing or they're full of anxiety or they've been having panic attacks at work or uh, they're, they're in desperation at, at home. Will you encourage them to know you, to be committed to you and to cry out to you and to trust you as hard as that might be? I pray for uh, any men or women in here who have come in and their heart's confidence is not in you because they're just so full of confidence themselves. They think they have life figured out. They think that everything's fine. They haven't met any problem they can't tackle. I pray that you would humble them, bring them to the point of recognition that our confidence ought to be in you and not in ourselves. I pray that even for the person who is here this morning, when it comes to their own salvation, they might be so confident that they've been a good person for so long, or they've done more, more good than they have bad, that they are, they're confident in their own works to get them to heaven. I pray that even that confidence would be shattered by this passage, shattered by your word that tells us we have no reason to put confidence in the flesh, but our confidence is in the Lord and in him alone. And please, we do that work in hearts this morning that only you could do. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.